everyone has their own perspective and it depends on where they're sitting. And so whose perspective matters? Yours. Your perspective is what matters. And again, it's not the events that happen to you. It's your perspective of the events that happen to you. That is everything. And that is in your control. And also, there's no one else coming to do you for you. You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hi, everyone. It is Kat and Stefania. You're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. And we are recording today from both San Francisco, California, where I am, and Sydney, Australia, where Kat is. Yes. And today we are talking to a very exciting guest. We're talking to Srimati, aka Julie Pyatt. She is a spiritual way shower, an artist, and a healer who lives her life in recognition and reference to the divine in all life experiences. On this podcast, she shares her wisdom from her winding and expansive life journey. The conversation is really all about uncovering and celebrating our own power, the possibilities we have to express ourselves, our relationships, love, and life purpose. It's expansive and it's a reminder of how big we are. Definitely. And Stefania, you've worked with her before. What was your experience like? Yeah, I first came across Julie hearing her on another podcast and her story really resonated with me. It really stuck with me. And months later after hearing her for the first time, I was reminded of her again and something just told me, check out what Julie's doing. Remember that person that you had heard on the podcast. And I looked into her a little bit more. I heard some other interviews that she had done and I was really inspired by her work and her life story. I mean, she has done so many different things. She's been successful in so many different careers and through it all, like you said, she's really a teacher in showing us to recognize the divinity in all of our experiences. So I did a healing session with her and I'm also part of her spiritual community called Water Tiger, which provides healing techniques in the form of guided meditations every month. And it's been really beneficial for me. And it was such a dream to meet her. I think that when we first got started with the podcast, if we had to make a short list of everyone who we'd really want to have on and host, she was certainly on that list for me. So it was a dream to get to go to her house and the Malibu mountains and see her beautiful space and get to interview her there and feel her energy. It was really, really awesome. And I think I've learned that 
there's so much more that lies beyond the surface of what we can see in our lives. So whether it is a tough decision that we're making with work or a person that is giving us a lot of challenge in our life, like these experiences are all our greatest teachers and are meant to help us learn through our life path to come into the highest version of ourselves. One of the things that she talks about in the podcast is that she feels the same exact age now as she did when she was a child, which I think is really interesting. And also probably another reason why she has such valuable wisdom to share because she is such an old soul. Yeah. I think something that's interesting, obviously, we've been thinking about a lot during this pandemic that we're in. We recorded this interview prior to the pandemic. I think some of it was just getting started in Europe and obviously it was going on in China. And she's talked about this in other forums, but that recognition of the divinity, we can apply to what's going on now too. And I'm really trying to remember that, especially as these days feel isolated and you know we're away from social interaction, recognizing that on the other side of this is as awful as it is. And as much as, you know, there's loss of human life and sickness, like I really do believe that there will be something greater on the other side. And I've been thinking about that a lot and thinking about her words there a lot through this week because it's been so weird. Yeah, I know. It has been really weird. I think aside from, you know, staying inside and isolating. There's also this fear over people's jobs. A lot of people are losing their jobs right now. And it's, I mean, it's really scary for a lot of people. And, you know, even if you did lose your job, then it could be difficult right now to try and find something else because everything is just so uncertain. So I think there's a lot of fear and you can even feel that in the air. It's just, there's so much fear going on. But I do believe that if you are somebody that is going through that, that there's something better for them on the other side. I think that we can recognize how awful this is while also recognizing that it can create some shifts that will be better for later on. I mean, a lot of things are going to shift. I mean, from my, where I stand, it feels like, you know, we're questioning what do we really need? What's really important to us? What do we really Mm -hmm. miss? You know, I hope that I see community coming together more because now we feel it fully retracted from us. I hope that I see that after this and I hope I can participate in that after this. Yeah. It does make you realize what's important because I think, and we talked about this with Bonnie Rose Weaver as well, our recent guest on the podcast. And she talks about how there needs to be a shift because we're not living in community and we're not living kind of core to what humans desire, which is just having human connection, being in community, knowing all those things and what's important. But instead we're you know, working around the clock to make deadlines and drinking coffee so that we can stay up. And it's just not natural to humans. So we're just killing ourselves. So this is almost like a global reset, even though it's awful. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the conversation with Julie. So in addition to all of the things we mentioned we're talking about, we also talk about relationships. Julie is a relationship expert of sorts through her own journey of love and life, which we hear lots about. She talks about the concept of divine love versus human love and how we actually have a relationship without expectations. We are universal creators and the opportunities for us to create in this world are endless. 
Julie has been a successful fashion designer, an artist, a chef, a musician, and an author without relying on formal training, but on exploring exactly what she loves. If you're like us, you'll probably leave this conversation being reminded of the limitless possibilities in your life, your power, and the vastness of this life experience and all that lies beyond the surface, beyond what we can see. Let's get to the conversation with Julie. Well, first of all, thank you so much for doing this with us. It truly is an honor. We were both so excited to come here for this conversation. Thank you so much. I've told you already what a big impact that you have had on me. So it really means a lot. And thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. (laughs) So you're a mystic mother, a way shower, a teacher, a chef, author, healer. Through your journey and, you know, you sharing your journey and following your work, one of the greatest things that I have learned is to recognize the divinity in all of our life experiences. And so in that spirit, we'd love if you could share a little bit about your background and what kind of led you into becoming the Srimati that you are today. (laughs) It's a very long story (laughs) with lots of twists and turns. Yeah. I mean, you know, oftentimes people ask me, they'll ask me, well, you know, when did you become spiritual or or how did you develop this devotional frequency with which you experience life? And what I would share is that I've felt this age since I was a baby. So I have memories of being a baby in a crib waiting for someone to pick me up. And I don't feel any different then than I do right now. So for me, it was sort of like this awareness and I was aware that I was in a family and there was a fair amount of chaos going on. A totally nice family, like, you know, pretty up the middle. We have alcoholism in our family, not my parents, but I have a sibling and an uncle. But in general, you know, middle-class family, I was the youngest of five kids. We lived in a, a mountain area. My dad was a hunter, so I was raised on game meat you know, ate caribou and reindeer and salmon and bear and goat. So, you know, the smell of blood, like after a kill, like, you know, he would come back from hunting and, you know, you could smell it on him because when you hunt, you know, you have to deal with the animal that you killed, you know, then you have to skin it and cut it up. And I would say that meat always kind of grossed me out but I was raised in a family where that's where we were eating. So it wasn't until later in my life that I actually became a vegetarian. So it's an interesting upbringing, but I would say in general, I wouldn't describe my childhood as happy. I wasn't a happy-go-lucky child because I was sort of an old soul. And I knew that I had a lot of years of waiting for me to get out of this circumstance so that I could do what I wanted to do. And so this, my spiritual nature sort of revered its existence in that I was the fifth kid and my parents stopped going to church when I was little. But when I had gone to Sunday school at this Protestant church and learned about Jesus, I was like, you know, I love that guy. Like, I just thought like that was the coolest 
person I'd ever heard of. And I had this capacity to feel that level of compassion, you know, to understand why somebody might give up their possessions or join some spiritual quest. Like I could really feel it. And, you know, it's interesting because an older brother of mine is spiritually inclined and he ended up actually getting involved in a cult, which at the time my parents thought was amazing because they cut their hair really short. And so they were like, oh, look, they're clean cut, you know, and the journey would go later that my brother had this, this quite extraordinary experience and then would get out of it. But at that moment that he was joining, had I been in high school, I would have joined also. Like I had that feeling about doing something for humanity that was beyond a life, I guess. So, yeah. How did you know that you were an older soul? I guess I didn't because I wouldn't have called it an older soul. It's an awareness. I mean, the only reason that I know now, I mean, I, I can look at all my relationships. Like I was the youngest of five kids. I always hung out with people 10 years older than I was. I fell in love and married somebody 17 years older than I was, who was the father of my boys, my beautiful boys. And I didn't plan these things. It's not like I thought it was convenient or I wanted to, you know, these things were naturally occurring. And all I know now is that I feel the same now that I did the first memory that I have of being alive. So, and because childhood was not this like idyllic experience or where I experienced the energy of being small like that, I have one memory as a super powerful memory. My parents would entertain a lot. And I remember going to my room and getting dressed in a nice dress and then going to the party. And I went to get in line. I got a plate and I got in line to get my food. And my father came into the line and said, honey, let me help you with that. And he took the plate. And my memory of my emotional state was I was thinking, all right, he needs to help me. And so I'm going to allow him to help me. But I am not the one that needs help, but he needs to help me. And it wasn't until you know, I was in my teens, I found a photograph of that moment. And I literally was probably three years old. The plate went from my head to below my knees. I was holding a plate that was almost as big as I was. Oh, wow. But that was my dialogue inside my head. And I also took high offense to adults speaking to me like I was a child. Like if they did the little doo -doo, you know, voice, I would just instantly walk away. I was just like, well, obviously you have an issue, so I'm going to walk the other way. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I guess that those are a couple examples. Yeah. You speak a lot about all of us sort of having a divine blueprint, living in or sort of having the goal of coming into the full expression of ourselves. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Beautiful. So for you, you know, in coming into the work that you're doing now and, you know, everything beyond everything that you just shared? Like, did you know that? Like, when did you come into the awareness of that? And how has that guided you? Okay. Yeah. That's a really good question. No, I did not have the awareness of that. And I went through all of the same struggles that everybody goes in remembering who I am. So I had a lot of, you know, angst and a lot of constriction and a lot of um, limitation from my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my family, you know, I'm still relatively close with my family. I have a pretty cool family, actually. They never really understood me. Like I'm from a different planet. So 
it's been in later years, it's getting easier. And, you know, my dad has passed away now and my mom's 92. And now that we're older, we've kind of stopped competing with each other, my Mm -hmm. siblings, Mm -hmm. you know, but I would say that, you know, I went through a lot of life lessons and learning. And and one of my biggest experiences, which is probably the, one of the greatest pains in my life was, well, I incarnated into a plan. So my perspective is, is that we all create the condition for the perfect evolution. So it's almost like as a soul, we prepare a certain soil to create an effect of friction of alchemy so that we can learn certain things and we can overcome them and we can transform and evolve. So I chose a life design where my father, he always loved me and he was always there for me if I really needed him but I would say he didn't prefer me. Mm. So he preferred my sister. Just, you know, like he was an engineer. I always say two plus two equals four. He was a very logical, very straight ahead, grounded man. Two plus two equals four. And then I would say, no, dad, two plus two is 22. And he would just become infuriated with me. Like he just could not even get on that page. And, you know, we had times in our lives, life granted us opportunities where we had times we were closer. Like when I married my boy's dad, who's 17 years older than I was, it was weird because it was almost like he closed that gap. And for those years, for that 10-year period, I got to heal a lot of stuff with my dad because my dad really loved my ex-husband, like loved him. And he was an amazing guy, but he could close that gap. And then I both was grateful and then also resented it because I was like, you can't just like me for myself. Like you need a bridge to like me, you know? So it was kind of like that situation. Yeah. Like, do you think that that's why you like subconsciously chose your ex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically what happened then as a young girl, I was looking to fulfill that void that I never had. And so I ended up having a lot of promiscuous sex in my teens. And I was looking for love. And it was always like, well, this is going to be the love, but the love was never there. And luckily, when I was 16, I met a man. He actually was a touring musician who was in town. And we know each other from a past life, but we fell in love for a month. And he course corrected all of that for me. Like he was the first boy, I'll say boy, because they were really boys, first boy to ever love me just for me, like really love me. Like he was for real. The other ones were just trying to have sex. Yeah. And it took me a long time to forgive myself, you know, for that promiscuity, for that, you know, that shame. And also it was very violent to me because I'm extremely sensitive as we all are when we're connected. And I had allowed my most sacred energy to be used and that hurt my soul. It hurt my heart. You know, there were deep consequences to it. And so for a while I suppressed it and acted like it didn't happen and just sort of turned the other, you know, turned my head the other way and carry on, you know, but then later in my life, I had an opportunity to really, really face that. Then this is kind of a, when you interview me, you're going to see like the answers are very long. So I'm sorry. But so basically what it set up is it, it set up this evolution of love, which has been super significant in my life, I would say that I am a really pure romantic, like beyond. 
And I have the great joy of really being madly in love now five times in my life. And I married two of those. One of those I was never in love with. It was a karmic experience. But so I've been exploring spirituality through relationship, through romantic relationship. And what I was given um, after that relationship with that individual that turned everything around, then I had a very big love affair in college with an architecture student. We were just connected at the hip for four years. And then after that, I got into a karmic hell. It was an abusive relationship that sought me out, tracked me, wouldn't leave. And this went on for seven years. So I married that to literally blow the, like I wanted to run the race car into the wall and explode it because I couldn't get away. It was this push pull thing, just wouldn't leave me. So then after that, I met the boy's dad and that was a really true prince princess rescue story salvation like he literally rescued me and literally was one of the nicest most celebratory beautiful human beings he loved me into my full creativity and i became a creative being during those 10 years i launched my own fashion company i did sculpture i started painting if you look at my timeline before then i didn't do any of those things i was completely suppressed and in that abusive relationship i was being controlled and monitored like what i wore what i said he cut my hair off like three times in those 7 years you know and i remember my friend canoe from college just yelling at me like why did you let him do that again you know it was just this really crazy thing but so yeah so i went through this abusive experience then a prince princess rescuing experience and now i'm in this divine union partnership of opposites that none of us could have predicted on paper but it's something about the opposite nature of it that causes an alchemy that has created something that has been transformational to us and also to some other people that have followed our journey. I've heard you talk about in the context of relationships and completion is sort of looking at a relationship coming to a completion, not as necessarily a sad or something to be mourned. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, we do these things in human life like we decide in our mind that if you get divorced, that that means it's a failure. And so if you look at a life, a life is a journey and it's made up of billions of moments. And we string those moments together and create our own unique histories. And most of them are not even, well, they're not true. They're the fantasy or the illusion of what we've created because the truth is that awareness that I was talking to you that I've known always. And all of us have that awareness. So some of us create like this chain of suffering and then more rarely, some people will create a chain of joy. Like I'm always lucky. Everybody picks me. But if you really look at just the truth, there's billions of moments and our personality selects certain ones of those to put together. So then I would say, and maybe it's because I'm designed like that. Like I think if you look at my palm, like I have big relationship issues. Like if you look at my Vedic chart, I have relationship issues, like love relationship issues, but I don't really because I have chosen to meet them as individual journeys and moments of evolution. And so for me, it isn't about hanging on for dear life until we're so old and we hate each other and you can't talk. 
for me, I had this other element in my divine design, and that's an inability to lie. I mean, I'm not saying I've never lied, but I would say my tendency is that I have to be honest and mostly with myself. Like if if I do something, I have to own it. Like it's a thing for me. So for me, I never expected to be married my whole life to one person. And I came from parents who were married, you know, and they had a, they had a really good relationship for 66 years. You know, that's huge. But for me, I never felt that. And thank God I didn't, because otherwise I would have stayed married to this abusive relationship, which would have been really a traumatic long-term life experience. It was something that I consider it to be a step in my mastery. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it taught me invaluable lessons. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is, rather than viewing... I mean, listen, let's just say, I haven't looked at the statistics and I normally never do anyway, but somebody (laughs) told me that I think divorce rates are like over 50%. Is it higher now? Like, is it like 70% now? Probably. Probably. I I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. so, So I guess what I would say is, Why set yourself up to be a failure? Mm -hmm. Why set your, you know, people would say, oh, you're getting a divorce from your boy's dad. I don't even like to call him my ex-husband. He's my boy's father. Like Mm -hmm. That's who he is. And they'd say, oh, we're so sorry it didn't work out. I I said, what do you mean it didn't work out? We were together 10 years. Mm -hmm. I launched a fashion company, became a sculptor, a painter. We loved each other every day except Mm -hmm. the last year and a half. Like Mm -hmm. we traveled the world and I gave birth to two amazing individuals that if you meet them, you will never forget them. Yeah. I mean... That right there, like I honor their dad and their mm-hmm. dad has since passed away, but it's like, he's with me in ceremony every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you kidding me? Like yeah. the relationship that I had with him to bring in my boys. So it's like, what are you saying that it's a failure? It's not a failure. Life is yeah. not a failure or a success. Yeah. It's a journey of experience. Yeah. And so what I say is that we have contracts mm-hmm. And we have agreements to experience a certain thing together. And sometimes those romantic contracts come into completion. Mm -hmm. And if we're mature enough to realize it, then we can separate in most cases in a really loving way, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and understand that this isn't about holding on to for dear life until the end, Mm -hmm. the end of what? Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that really resonated with me and I wanted to ask you more about that you've talked about in the subject of love and relationships is the idea of divine love versus human love. And would love if you can just kind of give a breakdown of that for those not familiar with the concept. And then my question for you on that, and I actually have been talking about it with some girlfriends lately and our question has been, but then where do you draw the line and and have no expectations? How do you have a relationship without expectations? And would love your take on that, if you know what I mean. It's big work, right? Yeah. It takes, takes big courage to have a relationship with no expectations. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say, first of all, I want to share that I was in deep with Rich already. This is my current husband who I've been with for almost 20 years, probably 20 years. Neither one of us can ever remember how long <laughs> we've been together. Anyway, so Rich is a recovering alcoholic and he was struggling and suffering. He wasn't using... He was struggling and suffering from the energy that he battles with on a daily basis. And I was 
practicing yoga, teaching yoga. I had healed myself of a, of a cyst in the front of my neck using Ayurveda and herbs. I was chanting. I was doing ceremony for him. I actually had a vessel of sacred water and I bought a crystal that I intended as the representation of him. And every morning I did an offering to that crystal in the sacred water. And there was a flower for him and a flower for me and essences. And I just, I visited that every morning for over 10 years as a show of devotion of him realizing himself in the highest capacity that he possibly could. And yet about year seven, it was probably a seven year. It's usually when things blow up, but, um, you know, he was dense. He was eating, I call the energy dense, meaning just dark and I couldn't get through it. And he was struggling and he was eating, you know, in and out burgers and, you know, venti coffees with three ad shots and just like using food. And he had gained like 50 pounds, you know, definitely overweight, unhappy, you know, really kicking dirt. And the more that I tried to help him, the more paralyzed he became. And I had had a lot of conversations with my friends and, you know, here he was, you know, Ivy League educated and wasn't making money and I was earning all the money. And, you know, it was this moment of, you know, well, is it too much to ask? Is it too much for me to ask for like this person to just show up like at some level? And here I had lived all of my young adult life really believing that the answer to all of our dreams lies inside our hearts. And so the real way that we heal ourselves and heal humanity is by finding out what that is and then expressing that with the world. And so there was a moment where Rich and I hit a wall and I think I asked him to move out. And my daughter, Mathis, was very young. She was a baby. And he left for like less than 24 hours and we were both devastated. So there was no, like, I was clear that I was not going to leave this man. Like, obviously I don't have an issue with it. I'm not going to hang it in if it's not good. But I was like, you know what? I really love him and I'm really committed to this relationship. So he came back and um, I had been studying with this Indian master. It was just right all around the same time. And the Indian master talked to me about the concept of divine love versus human love. And he said, human love is like a business arrangement. And it says that if you act a certain way or you do certain things, then I will love you. And the second you don't, I'm going to withdraw my love from you. And then he talked to me about divine love and he said, divine love is like the sun. It's simply shining on everything in creation without discrimination, without even cessation. So even when it's night, the sun is still shining. It's never not on. It's that awareness, right? And, you know, it was that moment where you take the 25th ski lesson and the instructor tells you how to lift your leg a certain way. And it, I just got it. I was just primed. I was ready. So I called Rich and I just said, you know, I love you and I'm sorry that I have been in your space. And I realized that I had no right to want him to self-realize in this lifetime if it was not his choice. And that my life is about me and me alone. And that if I am an emanation of God, which I know that I am, well, then so is he, even now, even eating in and out burgers, even drinking venti ad shots, even using, even it, had he been, you know, so I am not 
God meaning I am not the son to judge another person's life. And so I had this immature idea that my way was better. And you could make a logical argument that my way was better. I was happy. I was healing. I was doing all those things. But what it didn't take into account was his right as a being to have his own experience. And I think that's the thing that we get caught up on. And especially women in general, I would say with men, you know, because I mean, come on, they need our help, but they do need our help. But we get in this thing and then it's, it becomes really like a nagging and, and it's because we've lost our connection to source. And so what I said to him that day is I release you to your life. It's quite a profound, I said, I release you to your life. And then I'm sure he was just like looking around that night waiting for like an ambush to jump out of the bushes and like grab him. You know, it was was so out of character. Like I had spent, you know, years leaving him books and mantras and, you know, giving him opportunities and all this stuff. But it was really, this act was the catalyzing act that jump-started the life we're living today. It was nothing else. It was me getting out of his space. And what Hill, he would say to you if you were interviewing him, he would say that suddenly I was no longer in his space and that for the first time he had to look at himself because he had spent all those years pushing back against me. Like she's here, she's in the space, she's in the space. So he used me as an excuse to not look at himself and made it it's her, she's nagging me, you know, there she is again. And it's this funny thing. This is something as described by this relationship teacher that came here to do an event uh, named David Data. And I heard that he learned it from his girlfriend. So I, I just need to say that ahead of time. But he did say that existentially, from an existence perspective, the masculine energy is the emptiness. It's the, it's present it's here now and it's open. And the feminine frequency is an eternal creator. She's just creating, 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 creating. So it doesn't matter how much the masculine loves the feminine and adores her. The second she comes in his field, he will cringe. And this explanation to me was brilliant because I said it to Rich like the month before. I was like, I walk in the room and you cringe. And he's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, yeah, you did. I just saw you do it. So it's an interesting play of those energies. And of course, we have those energies within our own selves. So it's interesting and and it's profound. And the other thing is that the masculine knows that he will never be enough for the feminine because she's always creating. And it's literally like the feminine is set up to sabotage the masculine into living his best life because she knows he's not. Mm. So it's the way, it's this play of opposites. And, you know, you'll hear so many men or so many masculine oriented people say that, it was really the feminine energy in their life that catalyzed. And we've been living in a patriarchal world, which has only been crediting or recognizing the masculine energies. And thank goodness that's now over. (laughs) But 
because, you know, we have our own son. This is bringing me back to something that I, that I learned and that I practice. And that is the association and the embodiment of the feminine with the sun. So I embody the solar feminine codes. I am not associated with any planet that is called the moon that does not have our own light that is associated with lunatic lunar. That is not truth. So the truth is we are solar beings and we have all the light we need. And this is a reclamation spiritually that has just come on the planet really in the last months. And I was in Europe doing spiritual grid work, planetary grid work, anchoring these codes in. So yeah, it's super like expansive and amazing. Something that you were talking about before made me think of myself actually, because a lot of times when people come into my space, I get really... I just feel like I'm being controlled in some way. And it's really easy for me to just put it off on them. Like, oh, they're controlling me. They're like kind of like the opposite of what you are describing. And what would be your advice for somebody who feels like that, but that person isn't as evolved as you are to say, okay, I'm just going to back up and let that person figure it out on their own? Well, I would just say intuitively, you might be a rebel and you might have a rebel energy and you might be a leader and somebody that is really meant to be in that role. So, but I would say the emotion that you're having is because you have not recognized yourself as such. And so they come in and you're having all this stuff. But really the problem is when you recognize yourself as the leader that you know you are and you have seen yourself then you'll be free of that emotion. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. One of the other things we want to touch on, so through your journey and at the beginning, we talked about all of the different things that you do and have done. And I think that a lot of us can get caught up in an identity of ourselves. Like I am a particular type of person or I do a certain type of work and identify so strongly with that, that it can be difficult or maybe there could be some even shame or hesitancy to like take on something else, embody or or do something else. And you've done so many things as a creator, like we said earlier, chef, everything that you're doing with Water Tiger, with Shrimu. How do you navigate and how have you navigated exploring all of those different things? Like, has that ever been a challenge? And what would you say to someone who feels stuck in, in a certain identity? Well, remember, I just said that the feminine energy is the eternal creator. So yeah. she's creating for eternity which is super liberating for me. I'm like, yay. But what I would say is, um, I think that lists and a linear way of thinking is not useful unless you're, you know, trying to fix the washing machine. No, I don't know. I could never do that. But uh, I'm thinking, you know, arrive someplace on time or give somebody change from their purchase or something. But what I would say is that I was given this model and I haven't fully even had it graphically represented, but I'll share it here. It's, it's sort of like, imagine yourself as your own universe. Okay. So let's just say you're a universal creator, you're a universal creator, and I'm a universal creator. And we are the center of our own individual universes. So imagine yourself as a sphere and then imagine that there are highways multi-dimensional highways that are looping around you in every possible direction. Like it's infinite. It's so infinite that it almost makes a solid plane of a sphere. And then imagine that you could reach your hand up and pull one of those strings down 
and touch your heart and let that energy go inside your body. That's how many possibilities there are for you to express yourself. So for me, people say, well, how do you do it? I say, well, I'm a sphere. So what I'm doing is I'm rotating. In the day, I'm rotating to a different position to serve a certain vision, a certain intention, or a certain frequency. You could call those frequency bands. And I think that that is the ultimate manifestation model, like if you want to talk about manifestation. And, you know, all of us, when we're very mature in spirituality, we think that if we become spiritual, then we're going to then manifest everything we want, right? It's it's really tied to that. And I, I try to stay away from manifestation in that because I, I find it to be not as pure. Like for me, manifestation means alignment. So it's aligning into the precision of your life print so precisely that you're fully embodied and there's no room for anything else. And then you can just be that sphere. And when you reach up and grab one of those flow rings, as it comes through you, it will be unique through your set of design, how you are, what your eyes are like, how you hear music, how you feel, how you think. It'll be unique to you and you alone, but it's sort of like, it's your universe and then it's the entire universe. It's the all, it's the nothing, it's the one. So I think that to decide, and luckily right now, you know, there's years ago, somebody said, oh yeah, embrace your backslash. But, you know, even when I'm doing, you know, bios on Instagram, you know, it's like when I say all the things that I've done and experienced, people just would automatically think that I suck at all of them. Like, how could that be possible? Right. But for me, creative energy is sexual energy, is spiritual energy. It's all the same energy. So you can give me a medium of anything and I can do it. And I can probably pull from the divine mind at least a good bit. You know, I'm not listen, like I could be a much better pain. You know, I can use schooling and technique and all, all the things that I do. But I also think that the innocence of the naivete and the, the devotional innocence of just being open to receive the messages is a really super exciting way to learn and express. Because what, like, for instance, and we'll talk about Shrimu, my food line that I just launched. So it's plant-based cheese and it's artisanal plant-based cheese, but it's also universal. So it's vegan, paleo, gluten-free, dairy-free. It's for everyone. And my business mission was to create the best cheese around. So it's the new evolution of cheese. And my sacred mission is to infuse it with a frequency that when people eat it, it activates them to remember who they are. So there's it's made with an intention of spiritual realization. <laughs> so I guess when I started that exploration, I mean, here, I didn't even have creating food on any of my vision boards since I was, I mean, not, I, did, I never did vision boards. What am I saying? But I'm just using that as <laughs> yeah. a language. Yeah. But no, I never had that in my awareness. I mean, I did. I had one cookbook that I thought, oh, I'll do a cookbook that's connected to this house. But I never... I mean, I, I was always cooking for everybody. I could cook for 50 people. But for me now to be the founder and visionary of this food company that is going to be a global company, a very powerful company, is 
really surprising in a way and then not. But I would say that the reason I was able to invent and craft this product in the way that I did is precisely because I had no training. I am not a trained chef. You know, I've taken maybe two cooking classes in my whole life. So it was that approach that allowed me to try things that normally I would have been told not to try. I love that. And I've heard that before. I don't know if you know Naveen Jain or ever follow anything that he says he's an entrepreneur from originally back in like the original dot com, but does a lot of things now. And he says that, and that really resonates with me. He says, true innovation can only come from the outside of expertise because the experts, the foundation is limiting of all of that. And true innovation comes when you do have that naivete. And it sounds a lot like you know, what you're yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think that this is really super important also to apply with our children. And one of the things that I did is I unschooled my children for years and I, I wrote a memoir and developed an educational model that I haven't released yet, but I'm starting to get pinged again by young parents. I was way ahead of my time. I was the crazy woman in the back of the room. But what I'm saying is that I just worked with a client actually recently We must understand that our children are perfectly created in perfection the way that they are. And most of us are in communities where we are incarnating with either one diagnosed, I'm saying diagnosed because I don't like the diagnosis, but a child who is diagnosed with some extrasensory capability. My view of them is that they're advanced. They're way advanced beyond a linear program. But what's happening, because education is such an emotionally charged experience in all of our lives, that I found out, much to my surprise, that it's more volatile than politics or sexual preference. Education is just like, I mean, just explode, you know, cause a war, you know, to talk about it. But the thing is, is that it's because all of us, each one of us, almost without exception, suffered trauma to our self-esteem during school. I would say it's a universal pain. So then what we do is we grow up and we make it our mission that our kids are going to heal that trauma for us. Like if we weren't social, then our kid is, damn it, our kid is going to be social. Or if we, you know, and so what I would say is as feeling human beings, we need to take responsibility and heal our own trauma, first of all. It is not your children's, it's not our children's job to heal our trauma. Um, And then we have to understand, I always say, that if we continue to put our children in an obsolete educational system that most of us would not spend five minutes at, let me just add that. We're dropping our kids off at school because we need a break, because we don't have communities, villages, extended families, it's ass kicking. I mean, I gave birth to four kids. I raised five. So it's like, that's a lot. Let me tell you. I mean, it's real. it can be relentless and the biggest joy, the greatest joy, the biggest beauty, the biggest transformation ever. But what I would say is that if we keep out of our own fear of our child not making it, you know, in quotes, making it or being successful or being chosen, we are going to miss all the answers to all the challenges we are facing on planet earth. The answers are coming and they're coming in the form of life because that's evolution. And so 
what if we decided to take the perspective that everything was right with our child? What if we started there rather than, oh, he's five and he's not talking or she's, you know, not good at math or, you know, like my own Jaya didn't talk till she was four. And, you know, let me also just be very transparent. I am not like this amazing homeschool mother. I never wanted to homeschool. I'm a creative. I'm making things of my own. I gave birth to my daughter, Mathis, who didn't fit in. She kicked my ass like more than anybody I've ever known. And I did it out of necessity because this is who incarnated with me and this was my contract and I'm her mother. So I'm really a big unschooling advocate and that is basically leaving the kids alone and letting them find their selves, you know? And there's not a lot of math going on over here. There's not a lot of science. I'm sure they're pissed at me for that in some ways. But what I will tell you is they know how to self-regulate. They know who they are. They have an opinion. They have a vision. And also they're healthy. So we've eaten, you know, pretty healthy food their whole life. Knock on wood, neither one of my daughters has ever taken an antibiotic. Not once. Not one earache. That's amazing. And so we got to remember that. And, And now is the time. It's coming. So I have some young parents reaching out to me and they're ready. So I think there's a whole opportunity of educating in a new way where we actually get to spend the life with our kids. Mm -hmm. I really love that because I think, you know, many adults, including myself at times, it can be hard to remember who you are and who you were before and starting children off that way. And it's also because you know, a lot of it, we didn't start off that way. We were in the traditional education system and just kind of going with the the flow of life at the time. But now there's such an opportunity to start earlier and just let kids be who they are because that's really the authenticity of the whole thing. But, you know, as adults, how can we find ourselves again? After that separation? You know, I think the big key, a really big key is remembering who you were at six years old and going back to that time and thinking about what is it that you really loved at that time? You know, like, do you have some dreams, some memories? You know, what was it? The other thing is, what do you adore in life? Like, what are you in awe? What brings you to your knees, which is renders you in awe? I would say if you're in awe, it's because you have that same thing inside of yourself and you haven't realized it, you haven't taken it out, you haven't fulfilled it. And if you don't, it will remain a shadow and it will give you an opportunity to view it, but in a probably adversarial way, you know, it'll show up reversed. And um, I think that's a huge clue, just huge, huge, huge clue. And even to me, even though I know that well, I'm still finding out more aspects of that because even as a creative being, I was very expressed creatively. But the one thing that I was when I was six was a singer. And then I didn't sing my whole life until I was 40. I got a golf ball size cyst in the front of my throat, just huge. And then I became a musician with my boys over a seven-year period and we recorded two albums together. I literally just died in ecstasy every day. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever done. So on the one hand, I'm like, oh, it was perfect because I was just waiting for them. But I mean, it was right there from the very beginning. I mean, I was singing in a Christmas program. I was six. I got the flu. I lied to my mom. I didn't tell her I was sick and I couldn't stand up. And I remember being in the sick 
day and my teacher coming in and I remember telling her, her name was Sally Brown. <laughs> I said, Sally, you're going to have to go on without me. And I could see she was like choking back the laughter, but that's how I felt. It was so crazy. And now today, actually, I'm going to give my brother a shout out. So my brother, who's 17 months older than I was, he picked up the guitar right away and never put it down since he was seven. And now he's guitarist for Lucinda Williams. And he actually was just mentioned today in Rolling Stone as an extraordinary guitar player. I mean, he's a master guitar player. He's now, he's 60. He's going to be 60 in a month. And he's played guitar probably 10 hours a day since he was seven and never stopped. So he's really amazing. But yeah, I would say, look at what it was that just floored you as a child. And also the people in your life that you admire, you know, really admire the ones that you're just like, oh, you know, so like Wuda is tea master, actually, that I'm going to be seeing tomorrow. He's has a tea ashram. Do you know Global Tea Sage Hut? I don't know. I don't think so, so it's, he's a, an amazing, he calls himself a student of tea, but he's a tea master, has an ashram in Taiwan. And he's brought this practice of drinking tea. I don't know if you've seen me posting drinking living tea in the present. Beautiful tea. Yes, right. I have seen that. Yeah. Okay. So Wuda says this, he's like, if you spot it, you got it. And that's also for judgment. Wow. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. If you, if you judge that in another, wow. Kind of on that note, I think that in order to embrace some of these things, like as we move through our lives, do you have any sort of advice or can you share how you think about the timing of it all? Because some of the examples that you've shared are things you discovered later in your life through the years, like the example of the singing. And I know some other things that you've shared. How do we get comfortable and embrace adopting something or coming into something, a passion, all of these things we've been talking about when we feel like maybe we missed the boat on it? Because I feel like people feel that way. Yeah, it was funny. I remember thinking that I was going to be a singer, but I should have started when I was three and I was six. <laughs> That's, funny. That's, really funny. That's a funny thing, right? <laughs> so what I would say is it's never too late. You know, you're here in a body, you're alive, like right now at this time on planet Earth. It's a profound moment. And so we came here. So why not play? Why not just go for it? Just go all out. The other thing is that there's only one of you in the entire multiverse. Anywhere, there's only one of you. And so this thing that we do as humans, there's this search for consensus. Like, let me pontificate and intellectualize. What is the correct answer? There is no correct answer. There's no correct answer. You know, my path to self-realization is going to be totally different than yours, totally different than yours. It's unique to me and me alone. And in the earlier days of my journey, I used to spend a lot of time and, and I can feel it energetically as a constriction around. You can feel it if you feel into any situation, if it's constricting you, if it's putting a clamping your energy. It's like, and then maybe that's the anger that you feel when somebody's, you know, in your space, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So the time is now. It's not in five years and it's not next month. It's it's right now. And I mean, that's why I created Water Tiger, which is my spiritual mentorship program. And I think it's pretty awesome. I think it's very like modern and very cool because 
you know, I went down the path with all these different gurus and teachers and, you know, I've just been in the spiritual soup in a big way. And I've learned a lot. I have a lot of life experience. You know, I'm a relationship expert for real, like actually. (laughs) You are. (laughs) I didn't just take a course (laughs) or get some hundred hour training or something. No. So I have a lot of life experience to share. And what I did and what I realized over a year ago is I got very affected by the amount of information that is being put out into the field and the fact that it is creating a garbage dump of energy around the planet and in our lives. And so I've always been very discerning about what I post, but I thought, wow, you know, I really want to curate it. Like I really want it to be really meaningful. So in all these explorations of different traditions, what I did learn is that everyone has their own perspective and it depends on where they're sitting. And so whose perspective matters? Yours. Your perspective is what matters. And again, it's not the events that happen to you. It's your perspective of the events that happen to you. That is everything. And that is in your control. And also there's no one else coming to do you for you. No one's coming. There's no one. There's no one coming from the sky. <laughs> so let's just get there right now. And so, Water Tiger. The reason it's called Water Tiger. I tried to find a better name for it, but I was literally having this experience of merging with nature, like as a natural being. And here I'd been a yoga teacher and done all these different yoga practices and. And then I was like, why do I have to do the right and the left? An animal doesn't do a right or a left in in nature. Like it was starting to make me nauseous. I felt like I was going to throw up just doing a sun salutation, which is super shocking. So I wanted to be able to create techniques and share techniques that allow people to embody their life print. I call it a life print with such precision that there's no room for anything else. Now, we live in a vampiric world, which means in most cases, someone is trying to suck energy from you in order to feel good, live, eat, whatever it is. But what if we claimed our space, not just the body, but beyond the body, and we actually started to play with light and play with energy and really fill up, really own it, like really embody who you are? I thought to myself, wow, if I can help people do that, I will really be helping humanity and creation because I know that if you fulfill your divine mission and if you embody your life print, I know you're going to bless everyone. And it's not going to be an idea. It's not going to be a Derek Zoolander. I'm going to help kids who can't read good. You know, that's an immature human idea in spirituality or someone grows up and is like, I'm going to do charity. Well, we have to remember that a charity identity is the same identity as an actor. There's no difference in the identity unless it's anonymous. If it's secret and nobody knows about it, then that's another thing. So the point is both are beautiful. One is not less than the other. Both are beautiful. But we became separated from our own power because we were told somewhere along the way that sacrificing ourselves meant we were spiritual or we were kind or we were a nice person. No. And as a matter of fact, just to take it one step further, Yeshua or Jesus, this being that I love so deeply, 
he embodies compassion and love and not in a Christian way. This is a universal way. So I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious at all. So he embodies compassion and love and just the purest love, right? Gentle love. Like everybody loves Jesus. Like, come on. Like he's amazing. Do you really think that if he died and if there was a crucifixion and if, you know, some people made some mistakes or maybe it happened, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there. But do you really think that every time we saw his image, he would want it to be of him nailed to the cross? No. Does that make any sense with the being who is the teacher of this love? And so tacked on to that visual is our inability to receive ourselves as divine. But we are Christic beings, K-R-Y-S-T-I-C, Christic. We are made in the image of a Christ that is the origin of the divine human. So we are potentially divine. We have it in our DNA. We are avatars. We are multidimensional. We are eternal. We are omniscient. This is really who we are. But we've been living in this realm where we've been reversed. We've been looking at the wrong things and believing the wrong things. And so water tiger, one of the practices is mirror gazing. And this is really, really hard because many of us spend most of the time telling ourselves that you're okay, but I prefer it if you were different than you are. And that kind of dialogue or talk to a living, feeling being, if you had a friend that you talked to that way, you wouldn't be friends with that person. So, but we talk to ourselves that every day. So the mirror gazing is a way to just look at what is and start to understand who you are, start to remember who you are. So I'm not offering Water Tiger to make anybody believe or live or think like me. I'm offering Water Tiger so that you can be you. And I'm also not taking any responsibility. So I have no responsibility over your life. I'm offering this. Everything that I offer is stuff that has worked for me that I've learned or that you know has been profound for me. One of the things that I love about Water Tiger, and I've just been getting started in the past month, is that I do feel... Well, I love all the tools, but I feel like it does have that energetic frequency that you talked about in the cheese as well, because you um, it, you can kind of follow a certain path or you can kind of let yourself explore. And I do feel when I allow myself, I'm pulled to certain techniques and certain exercises in a way where I'm like, that's really strong and coming from somewhere. And that has been really, really powerful. And yeah, and they're approachable and anyone can do them. And I've loved it. So I just want to vouch for that in my own experience. So glad. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is that it's not a community where I'm not encouraging interaction between the members. We have enough external things coming out. Like I was with somebody yesterday. They were like, someone's like, oh, I want to introduce you to somebody, you know, be a good friend. And she's like, I don't need any more friends. It was just, we were laughing. But the point is, is that we just, we have this modern life and, you know, everything's pulling at us and, you know, we know we, we should meditate, but 
are any of us meditating? You know? <laughs> so the point is, is it's like, I don't need to give you that. You yeah. can get those communities from other places. So hopefully I give you these techniques. And, and I will say, if you just picked one technique and did it for a year, you your life would change forever. But it's a subscription. You guys want a technique every month. So <laughs> no, there's a lot to cover. Yeah. So I am giving it. But it's been really, really profound. And actually, it was kind of detrimental to my public podcast because... I'm so fulfilled in it. The questions are so good. And I, I talk nonstop for two hours once a month. And after I do that and I've created the technique, like I feel well. Mm. I feel like, oh, I gave back. Yeah. Definitely. I'm good. Mm. And then, you know, people are like, when's your podcast coming out? And I'm like, uh, I'm making cheese now. Yeah. <laughs> no, so... Well, I know that we're getting a little bit over time, but I could literally sit here for 10 hours. I feel like we have one question that we ask all of our guests, what in your life or what life experience has been your greatest teacher? One, to say one. <laughs> I'm going to give this one to my daughter, Mathis, actually. Um, my book is dedicated to her. The one I wrote a memoir, it was like 700 pages and doesn't even include most of my spiritual experiences. So I have a, a memoir that I that I took out of that. It's the homeschooling one. So I'm going to give it to my daughter because she literally challenged me. She called me to task more than any single person I've ever met in my entire life. And she relentlessly demanded that I show up for her in that way. And it was, <laughs> it was an ass kicking from the universe. And she's so genius and so beautiful. And yeah. I mean, she's a powerhouse and she required me to create a new way of education, to see her imperfection, to meet her as a wave every moment and just see where she was going to go. I had to stay totally open, totally fluid. I still do. I have to be okay with how she is socially. You know, she cannot be defined, not be controlled, not be corralled in any way. And so it's been a joyous, amazing ride and our love runs super deep. Wow. Beautiful. Well, where can people find out more about Shrimu and Water Tiger? Yeah, thanks. So the cheese collection is something really, really extraordinary. It's a cheese subscription. So you get, right now you're getting six flavors in a sacred altar box. It's $130 and you can get it either monthly, every other month or every three months. The reviews for this product have surpassed anything I ever dreamed in my wildest dreams. And I have over 50 recipes that I've created and these are only six so the future is very bright for Shrimu. It is a, um, creating a culture of awareness, no pun intended, because there's cultures in the cheese. This is not crappy vegan cheese that's going to make you want to gag. There's no fillers. It's not gooey. Somebody said to me, these are some of the best reviews that I got. Okay, one I got was, I felt like a better person after eating Shrimu. <laughs> that so was good. from NQ Poet. I've also uh, heard from somebody... This cheese is delicious and not vegan delicious, actually delicious. <laughs> like that. So that was pretty good. Uh, but anyway, I hope you guys will join the culture. It's a movement and we are going to be releasing other products. You know, we launched with this beautiful expression and it's made quite a big splash. So we are a global 
company. Um, I already have facilities setting up in Domenher, Italy. We did a co-branding and the the labels like from a museum. Um, we're also almost ready to set up in Canada. So we're doing some strategizing. We're going to have another product that's for age wheels that'll be somewhere around $80, which we think will be useful to people. And then we also did a Shrimu inside, which is 12 aged wheels. So you kind of get it like a, like a donut box, right? Of all these wheels. So we are super excited. So you can find that at shrimu.com, S-R-I-M-U.com. A water tiger you can find on my website, juliepiat.com, J-U-L-I-E-P-I-A-T-T.com. You can find everything out about me there, including my retreats to Domenher over the equinox. We had to postponed to September due to the coronavirus right now, but um, hopefully we'll all be back and traveling to Italy soon again. Mm -hmm. Then uh, Water Tiger, just click on Water Tiger and you can uh, follow the prompts and subscribe. It's a monthly subscription. You can also choose a three-month or a six-month option as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Oh, and also for the Life of Me podcast is back up. New format. Yeah. It's going to be uh, like 20, 15 to 25 minute, just sort of blast on one subject. Mm. So that's really freed me up. So I hope some of you will join me there. And anyway, it's really, really beautiful to meet you again and see you again. Mm. And, um, you know, this means a lot to me. So you guys are the ones that are going to transform the world. And so I cherish all the time that I get to spend with the younger sisters. So oh, thank, thank you, you. so thank much. You. Namaste. Namaste. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.